Jonah in the second chapter. I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed the Old Testament. I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in it um, over the last uh, almost five years. Uh, I've been reading it personally, but I hadn't been teaching from it, uh, basically because um, I'm not as familiar with it. I've heard lots of folks teach the Old Testament, but I've never taught a lot of it myself. That said, I think I've gotten more response out of you guys teaching through the Old Testament than I ever did in the New and I think a lot of that is because a lot of people know the Old Testament stories from children's church, but many have never been taught them on a Sunday morning. And there's not a whole lot of churches that actually teach through the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to try and tackle it because the whole Bible uh, is meant for us to consume and to learn from and to be nourished by. So in Jonah chapter 2, we begin this week with Jonah being in the belly of a great fish that was um, prepared by God. And so uh, we all know the story, and I don't know about you guys, but um, there's also other stories. I think it was Pinocchio. Was it Pinocchio where he gets swallowed by a whale, and then you see him, you know, is it him that's swallowed? It's all from my childhood, so it's kind of vague. Who, who was swallowed by the fish? Huh? It was Pinocchio. Okay. But what's he doing while he's inside the fish? He's got a table, a little light, he's reading, he's kind of hanging out. He's like, I'm stuck here, but it's not so bad. You know, <laughs> I see that spot and I'm like, hey, that doesn't sound so bad to me. Got something to read. I got a nice place to sit. There's a little bit of water, but nobody's bugging me. Um, but that's not what Jonah's going through. Uh, he's going to describe it today. But before we start with chapter two, I want to remember how he got to where he is now, because Outside of the context, it seems unfair that he would be swallowed. But if you look at chapter 1, the whole chapter, it says of Jonah that he went down. He went down from where he was when the Lord spoke to him. He went down to uh, the seaport uh, to leave, to run from the presence of God. And if you've ever found your spot and running from the presence of God, you know that you can only go down to go from the presence of God. And you also know that you can't flee the presence of God. He's everywhere. He created the heaven, the earth, the sea, everything in all of those things, he created them. And so his presence is everywhere. So as Jonah has fled and he's gotten to the seaport and he's gotten on a ship that just so happened to be ready for him, he goes down from there into the bottom of the boat. He gets to the lowest, what we think would be the lowest position in his life, and while this storm is brought up by the Lord to basically, you know, because the Lord's not happy with Jonah and he wants him, he wants Jonah to know that he's not happy with him. And so the ship starts to rock and the, the, the waves are so high that the ship is actually threatening to come apart at the seams. If you've ever seen a wooden ship, uh, you know that there's only so much it can take before the wood will bust. It's under pressure. And so as the waves are rocking it, and as the weight of the cargo is in there, they throw the cargo out, and at this point they start to pray because there's no atheists in foxholes and there's no atheists in stormy seas. And so as they start to pray, they come down and the, the captain finds Jonah and says, what are, you, what are you doing down here? Start praying to your God. Don't you know we're going to perish? And as he does this, Jonah has already told them that he is fleeing the Lord. And they say, well, what? where are you from? What do you do? And why are you here? 
And as they do this, he starts to reveal this story, and, and they say, well, why did you flee the presence of the Lord? If God has spoken to you, why wouldn't you want to stay in his presence, especially with this storm going on? So these men's lives are risked because of Jonah's disobedience. And as Jonah tells them about this, they say, what can we do so that we might be saved from this storm? Not saved spiritually, but what can we do so this storm will stop? And he says, throw me in the ocean. Well, it, they don't do that first. They go, look, if, if God's going to punish you because you fled his presence, we're not going to throw you, his person, into the ocean because who knows what he's going to do to us. So they start any other way. They start rowing towards shore. And as a result of that, the storm continues and they go, okay, well, maybe we need to try this out. So they, they throw Jonah into the sea. And at the moment he hits the water, what happens? The storm's gone. It's gone. And it stops. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in the midst of a storm and it stopped just suddenly? I haven't. I can imagine there'd be quite the contrast from the storm to the stopping. Instantaneous. And so as this has happened, it says this in verse 14. That they prayed. They cried out to the Lord. No longer praying to their gods. They cried out to Yahweh and said, We pray, O Lord, Please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. Because they knew if they threw him into the sea that he would surely die. There's no other option. You're in the middle of the sea. It's over for you if you get thrown in. And he says, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah after praying a prayer to protect them. And they threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they took vows. We don't know if they were able to make a sacrifice, because it said they had already thrown the cargo overboard. But they made a sacrifice. We don't know if it was a sacrifice of an animal, or if they made a sacrifice of praise. But then it says they made vows to him. And if you've ever been delivered by the Lord through something, you kind of get to the other side, and you're like, Lord, I'll, I'll never go through this again. I'm, I'm going to do this, this, and this for you because you've been so good to me. They're compelled by his mercy. But then verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then it says in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed. This is the first time that we see in this book that Jonah prayed. So let me ask you, the story of Jonah, the book of Jonah, who's it about? Who's the main character? You know, many would say Jonah. Uh, many would say, um, you know, that there's other characters. There's the sailors. Um, there are the mariners. And then there's also the Ninevites. Those are also some characters. Uh, but who's the main character in this story? Who's the main impetus for why this is happening? It's God. God's the main character. And so if we look at this story through the lens of God is the main character we see that God is speaking to men in various ways. He's speaking to Jonah. He's wanting to speak to the Ninevites, but he's limiting himself to a, a disobedient prophet. And he's also speaking to these mariners, these sailors. So in every instance, God is continually speaking to men, but one of the men that is supposed to know him gets a word from the Lord, and he is abstinent. He's completely against, or obstinate, he's against listening to what God has to say to him. 
And so because of that, that's what causes all the turmoil. When God's people hear the voice of God and they rebel against it, it causes more problems, I would submit to you, than when people that don't know God ignore his voice. Does that make sense? We cause more problems for others as people who are supposed to know God's voice by disobeying it than those who don't know the Lord. It's on us. So Jonah is responding to what God has shown him. And I re- there's a book that A.W. Tozer wrote called Ma- uh, God Tells the Man Who Cares. But the question becomes, if God tells the person who cares something, what if you don't like what he has to say to you? You know, the, I, I've been through that before. He's told me something, and I don't like what he has to say. And so I go, ah, that must not have been God because it doesn't fit in what I think he should say. And so I run from it. But that makes me in the place of God. So Jonah, the book of Jonah, is about the will of God and how we respond to it. We've already seen how Jonah responded to it, but let me ask you, how do you respond to God's word? And it's all about the love of God and how we share it with others. Because as Jonah rebels against and denies God's word to him, he's also denying God's love to others. Does that make sense? When we deny God's word to us, we deny God's love to others. We should, I should have wrote that down. So it's in doing the will of God that we grow in grace and become more like Christ. Christ, what he said was, I have come to do the will of the Father. And that's my bread. He said that's what was his life, was doing what God gave him to do. And if you'll think about that for a minute, when you do God's will, you will actually be the most happy. Everybody's searching for happiness. But if you will do God's will, then you'll fulfill God's purpose for your life, and that is where you will find the most happiness. In Psalm chapter 119, I was reading this this morning in verse 35. Psalm 119, verse 35. It says this. says, make me walk in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Or another translation says, uh, <laughs> help me to walk in, the, in your commandments, in your path. Direct my steps, because if you'll direct my steps, I'll be the most happy. And I like that. So uh, notice that in Jonah's life, he ignored God's direction for his path. And because of that, he's miserable. And we've just begun to see his misery So in chapter 2, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, or the end of chapter 1, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said... So this is basically he's written down what he prayed in in the midst of it. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now, I've been in this place recently. I've cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and God listened. He hears. When we are afflicted, he's aware of it, and he wants to meet with us in it. But I also want you to consider something. He, doesn't, he, he also delights to hear from us, and he also listens when we cry out to him and we're not in affliction. We just tend to cry out to him more when we are in affliction. He says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, 
into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. He says, out of the belly, at the end of chapter, or verse 2, he says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Many believe that when Jonah was swallowed by the fish, he was in the, in the distance, he was thrown into the, the sea, and again, he's going down, just like he was in chapter 1, but as he's going down in the sea, many believe that while he was going down, he thought he, he was preparing for death. He's like, it's over. And then he gets swallowed up by this fish and perhaps didn't even know what he was swallowed by or what was going on because it was dark. And as he's swallowed by this fish, he believes, many say, that he's actually in Sheol, which was a place created for the dead before Jesus. And it's kind of crazy if you read in the New Testament, Jesus speaks of a place called Sheol. And this place called Sheol is also referred to as Abraham's bosom, kind of a place, a, a, a limbo place. And many Catholics get their idea of purgatory from this place. Uh, now, in Christ, there is no purgatory. There's no place of waiting to be refined until you're okay for heaven, kind of a cleaning station. There's nothing like that. In Christ, we're all that will ever be. And the only reason anybody gets into heaven is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what they have done or gone through. But that said, he believes he is in an eternal place, possibly. Not just a place of, of trial, not just a place of affliction, not just a place of you know, a holding tank or a timeout, if you will, which we find out is what's going on. But he's actually in the belly of a fish, but he doesn't know whether this place is eternal or not. And you can imagine the separation and the, the fear that struck his heart in the midst of not knowing what was going on. So he says there, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. I like that in verse 3, you cast me into the deep. Now who's got Jonah into the situation he's in? Was it Jonah or was it God? I would submit to you that yes, it was Jonah, but it also says that God prepared the fish. So it's also God. It, does man have free will or is God in, completely in control of things? And I always answer yes. He's in, he, it's both. So as we look at it, it says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He says there, I have been cast out of your sight. What was Jonah running from in the first place? God's presence. He got what he wanted. And guess what? He's finding out it's not what it was cracked up to be. I was sent out of God's presence. That's not fair. Isn't that what you wanted? Isn't that why you left God's call on your life in the first place? You wanted to flee God's presence because he asked you to do something you didn't want to do. And I've been there. God asks us to do things that are hard. God asks us to do things that are impossible. The, the Ninevites were a people. It was a capital of Syria. And many believe that actually it wasn't just God's people and Jonah's people that they had killed, but many believe that Jonah's family, was his close relatives had been killed by these people, the Ninevites. They'd been taken off as captives and murdered unjustly. So you can kind of relate a little bit more with Jonah if you consider the fact that his family was killed by the Ninevites, possibly. 
why he would say, absolutely not. I'm not going to, if God's judgment is coming on the Ninevites, I'm not going to tell them. I'd rather they be caught off guard. God's trying to send a warning shot to them. And Jonah says, nope, I ain't firing the trigger. I will not let them know. And so as he runs from the presence of God, God is relentless in continuing to try. His discipline of Jonah is actually his love for Jonah, but also for the people that he sent Jonah to speak to. I still care about them, Jonah. I know that they've wronged you, but I still care about them. I love them. I, and later in Christ, he died for sinners. He didn't die for good people. He actually says, if you're good in your own eyes, you don't need me which is your own condemnation. And so as you look at this, he says, as he prays, I've been cast out of your sight. This is a confession of his circumstances and an expression of faith in the second part of verse four. He says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He's doing something out of obedience to the word of God. First Kings 8 speaks of this. In First Kings 8, Solomon is praying and dedicating the temple And he says this in verse 46, when they sin against you, meaning his people, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them over to their enemies, and they take them captive into the land of the enemy far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and they repent and they make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, and we have committed wickedness. That's a confession of guilt. Verse 48, And when they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies, who led them away captive, and they pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name. Verse 49, Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to their supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. God's people in the Old Testament, when they were disobedient, God would allow their enemies to take them, to take them from the promised land and to punish punish them. But there was always an opportunity to repent of their sin that brought them there in the first place, their captivity. And so Solomon said, when they pray towards your holy temple, which was the presence that they knew where God had chosen to rest, then hear their prayer and forgive them of their sin and restore them. And so Jonah is making a step of faith here, and he says, I was cast out of your presence, your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He's calling upon the promises of God to be restored and forgiven and brought back into fellowship with God. He says here in verse 5, The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me, And look at this, weeds were wrapped around my head. He's in the belly of this fish. Now, we don't know if it was a whale. We don't know if it was a fish. The word there in the Hebrew 
for a, a great fish was actually the word for a sea monster. So we don't know what the sea monster was. Maybe it was Loch Ness. We don't know. But he's in the belly of this sea monster, not only with himself, but also anything that went through that sea monster's mouth into his stomach. Now, if you got a big, huge sea monster, he might have eaten something that's a little bit wicked in there. There could be some like, you know, what's that show, River Monsters? He could have ate one of those things. You know, it's in there still trying to survive. You know, I, I don't know. You know, that's all kind of just thinking on the scripture. Sometimes we get so stuck on what it says, we don't think about what it was like to be in Jonah's shoes or in his sandals or in his, you know. So he's in the belly of this animal, and his, it actually says that there's seaweed wrapped around him. Now, there's a lot of potential in the midst of this belly of this animal to be accidentally killed. Can you imagine if the seaweed wraps around his neck and suffocates him? Or if the water comes in so much that he drowns inside the fish? So not only is God punishing him, he's, dis- he's disciplining him, but he's also preserving his life in the midst of this. Now, many argue that he must have died in the belly of the whale and God resurrected him. And God is definitely, certainly capable of doing so. But I believe that he was in a state of knowing what was going on, in a state of consciousness, and that is when he prayed. And notice what it says there in the first, um, in the last verse of chapter one, it says he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then he prayed in verse one. So maybe, you know, you can see something in that, but it seems like he was pretty obstinate. I've met some hard-headed people in my life, and I'm one of them, but I don't know that it would take too long in the belly of a fish to start crying out to the Lord. But it seems like it took him three days and three nights before he started to pray. Now, you can ask my wife about this. When I get hard-headed, I get prayerless. And in the midst of my hard-headedness, unfortunately, I pray less than I should. And that's when I need it the most. And when you stop praying and you stop relying upon the Lord, each day gets easier to do less and less. And God will allow circumstances to squeeze the junk out of you until finally, in your affliction, you cry out to the Lord. Recognize that ahead of time and start early because you're going to become like Jonah to your spouse, to your kids. You're going to get nasty. All the stuff's going to be squeezing out of you and they're going to wish that the Lord would just take you. You know, like just take him now, Lord. I can, you know, but in the midst of that, I, I just want to point out that we're a lot more like, I'm, I'm a lot more like Jonah than I'd like to admit. I take a long time to be, allow myself to be corrected. But it says the water surrounded him, even to his soul. He's, he's claustrophobic. Have you ever been in a spot where you're so hemmed in that you're just like, get me out of this? You know, like I, I just, I can't take it anymore. I get that like that when I'm in the house too long. He says, the water surrounded me so much that they, they were per, you know, going through my skin, even to the depth of my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. You know what moorings are? It's like a foundation. It's like under some of the skyscrapers they build in the cities. They don't just put a foundation with footings like we would for our house, but they, they drill down almost as deep as the building's going to be tall above the ground, and they pour concrete around steel beams that make it what holds up the structure, kind of like 
Uh, it's a pillar, but it's underground. Well, it says here that he went down so deep that he went to the moorings or the foundations of the mountains. If you think about the building with the, the pillar that goes as deep as it is tall above the ground, and mountains are way taller than the buildings we build, the, the foundations of those are in the sea and they're deep. He says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. He thought he would never come back up. Yet you have brought me, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, when I was at the very end of myself, he says, I remembered the Lord. Now, do you think he forgot the Lord in the midst of all this going on? I don't think so. I think what it means there is that he remembered the character of the Lord. He remembered the Lord in his loving kindness and patience. He says, and my prayer at that point went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols, he concludes, forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Whoever God wants to save, he gets to save. It's his choice. And I'm down here in the midst of this fish in my discipline because I have withheld the salvation of the Lord and the Lord won't allow me to do that. That's what Jonah's saying. I recognize that if I want God to save me, how much more does God want to save those who don't know that he's there? And so he says, I will sacrifice to you. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Those who make sacrifices to things that can't save them, they're forsaking their own mercy. They're sinning against God. They need to know. So he says, I will pay what I have vowed. I will do what God told me. Salvation is of the Lord. And so verse 10, it says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now get that picture. He goes in, he swallowed. Swallowing something's not gross. I mean, people smack their lips, and they chew with their mouth open. Get, don't get me wrong, it's not pretty. But when they throw up, nobody wants to be around for that. And when a fish throws up, you know, I, I picture this as this fish just at the right time. God's in charge of this fish, and it's already at the destination at the time that Jonah finally comes to his senses and has his attitude adjusted. And at that point, the Lord goes, okay, you're out of time out now, but it's not pretty. You ever left your kids in the bath for too long? Like they got that wrinkly skin. Imagine if there was no sun for three days. Imagine if they were underwater in this stomach that's got stomach acids in there for digestion. I, I don't think he had any hair left. I think it was all gone. I think his beard was gone. And I think he came out completely wrinkled and white and pale. And he stood up on the shore. He was probably wincing at the brightness of the sun. He became a sign. He became a sign. So what we find out, and we'll look at next week more in depth, is he walks to the city of Nineveh, and it says there in verse 1 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again, or the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And when he gets there, it says that the, the city was so large that it took a couple days' journey just to get to the center of it, and he stood in the middle and said eight words, and they all repented. Now, there are many possible reasons for that. 
but I think one of them is what he looked like. You know, here's this Hebrew. They knew he was Hebrew. And he stands up and he's telling us this message. He knows the judgment of God. He's experienced it. Look at him. He's missing all his hair. He's that guy with the sandwich board yelling in New York City, the end is near, except he doesn't have any hair. And if God will judge one of his own people that are inside the covenant law that he's given them, how much more will he judge us Gentiles who have been killing his people? So here we have this man who has rebelled against God's love for other people and has denied his word to him. And God lets him have exactly what he wants, separation from him. And then in the midst of that, he, his whole attitude, his outlook on life changes. He says, you know what? It is way better to obey the Lord than it is to deny him. Just for the sheer fact of every time I've disobeyed him, I've put myself and others in danger. So when he obeyed him, he gets sent again to do what he's been called to do. Now, what we'll find out by the end of the book is that Jonah's attitude has changed, but it's not completely changed. He's still got some junk to deal with. And what I want to say about that is that in Christ, we have been forgiven of much. He, he forgives it all if we're willing to repent. But here's the other deal. When we think that we've arrived and we no longer need the Lord, that's again where he's going to show us things that we still have to deal with. He's purifying us as his bride, if we will let him. And he desires to, to change things way beyond what you or I think is okay. Like, I'm better than I was. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet. I, he still has things he wants to do in me. So, I'm going to close with Matthew chapter 12. And talk just real shortly about this group that's speaking of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. There were some scribes and Pharisees, and they said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He said he was from God. He said he was the Son of God. They wanted to test him to see if he was actually a prophet of God, because you don't know. You don't always know if somebody's actually of God or not. And so they, they questioned him, and they said, uh, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. If you're really a servant of God, we want you to show us a miraculous sign. And he answered and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except... He doesn't say no sign at all. He says no sign except something that's already taken place. The sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Spoiler alert, they repent at his preaching. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. They repented, these Ninevites, these Gentiles that were murderous, the most wicked people you've ever met, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And yet a greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus, like Jonah, was he, unlike Jonah, he was obedient in every possible way. He was obedient to the point of death. And yet what we find is that just like the fish vomited up Jonah, death couldn't swallow Jesus. 
death overcame Jesus, uh, covered him up. I'm sure he felt like he had uh, stuff wrapped around his head. I'm sure he was completely squeezed in by the pressure of taking on the sins of the world. And yet, after doing all of that and providing redemption and actually dying physically on the cross, he was in the belly of death for three days, and yet on the third, he walked back out, unscathed, except for the scars to prove that he died. And the resurrection is the proof that he, the sign that he was who he said he was. Because if he just died, it wouldn't prove anything. But since he died, was buried, and then rose again from the dead, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that our salvation is proven in his resurrection. And his resurrection is something that he's working out in you and I. Because resurrection power is what changes our mind, gives us a desire to obey, obey the Lord. And then it also provides and produces different fruit than when we were walking in the flesh and not trusting Jesus. So let me submit to you also that when you are following Jesus, you can know that you are because you keep God's commandments. Uh, but your commandments, keeping of God's commandments don't get you to heaven. Uh, they actually just prove that you're on the way to heaven already. You want to serve him. You want to obey him. And there's fruit that's produced from that. Salvation for you and for those who hear you. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, for delivering Jonah from the, the belly of the fish. It wasn't pretty. Salvation is a beautiful thing, but the process of sanctification and being transformed from our old ways of thinking are sometimes just as gross as being vomited out of a fish. Those who know us closely have seen that sanctification process. They see us when we know we're supposed to obey and we disobey. They've seen us in the midst of uh, trying to work out uh, how we're going to walk now that we trust Jesus, and they've seen us be complete hypocrites. Father, forgive us for our rejection of your commands and rejection of what we know to be true now. But help us in the midst of that not to get so far down that we are unwilling to repent and let you change our minds. Lord, would you transform us by the renewing of our minds? Would you give us new desires that align with yours? And Father, would you um, use our testimony just like you used Jonah's to point to the resurrection of Christ and that death will not swallow us. We are alive forever now. Though we will pass through death, the promise is that we will see you face to face and we'll be gathered together with the rest of the saints to the praise and the glory and the honor of the one who saved us. Thank you that we get to meet Jesus personally. Thank you that we have the opportunity to walk with him by faith day by day. Help us not to shrug that responsibility. Help us not to shrug that gift and miss out on an abundant life here. But Father, at the same time, don't let our obstinance or our rebellion or rejection keep you from transforming us until we see you face to face so that we will be unashamed in your presence. So Father, thank you for this word. We pray uh, your blessing upon the rest of our weekend. And as we get ready to go back to what we normally do during the week. Lord, would you continue to write these things on our hearts and help us to know how to walk these things out in our daily lives. Lord, we want to be obedient. 
and we want to be a blessing. So Father, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.